new sermon series begun <clears throat> just a couple of weeks ago is dealing with your stuff. And we've already looked at um, dealing with sin, guilt, and shame last week, dealing with your false images of God. And the, the, the key thing about the series is to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. What can you see in kind of a uh, of an ongoing, even an attitude about self-analysis. Not to overdo it, but just step back from yourself once in a while and say, where's my mind going and why is my mind going there? And today, we're going to look at dealing with your broken image of you. Apostle Paul had a struggle with this, and he had... a. Some, some broken moments in his life. As, as great a man of faith as, as he was, he still had challenges. And in the 12th chapter of, of 2 Corinthians, we see this situation where he's describing what he calls a, a, a thorn in his flesh. There are scholars that believe that it was probably his eyesight that was uh, compromised perhaps going all the way back to his conversion experience when he was blinded by that light from heaven and when Jesus came and spoke to him and he couldn't see for three days. And then um, he, his sight was restored, but perhaps it wasn't, it, it was always a little bad and as age, you know, crept up on him, then it got worse and worse because he would often dictate letters to someone else who would physically write the words down. Maybe that was it, we're not sure. But here's what he says in 2 Corinthians about that. And then in the larger understanding of this, this teaching is that all of us have thorns in our lives that we wish weren't there. And maybe we prayed, maybe we prayed a lot and it hasn't changed yet. So how do we deal with those things when our life is broken in some way? But here, here's what Paul writes in... 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at the 8th verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So God says, my power is made perfect in weakness, perfect in the sense of fulfillment, um, to, to come to maturity, completeness. God's power wasn't displayed with... <clears throat> Awesome natural events when Jesus came into the world. My son is coming. And so the entire planet better pay attention. And he comes riding from the clouds on <clears throat> a lightning bolt or something like that. No, he was born in the humblest possible way to the humblest possible people. The news was announced to, to the, a downtrodden group called shepherds. And so, so from the start... When God sent his son into this world to demonstrate to us what he is like, and that's what we mentioned last week, if you want to know what God is like, 
Look at Jesus. And so it is not surprising then that it is through difficulty and pain that we often learn the most in our lives, that we often um, can see what God is doing. Obviously, no one wants to suffer. Paul didn't want, assuming it was his eyesight, his eyes to go bad. But he prayed, and God said, trust me, basically. And so we have this, this attitude that he took on that even when I have difficulties and weaknesses, I can see that God can do something good through it. If he still wants to change it, great. And I'm not going to give up on that. But he's not going to go into despair about it. This was, this was Paul's broken condition. That is the apostle. Now I want to share with you a little bit about this Paul's brokenness. The, around the year 2013, in fact, right at the start of 2013, I went through a series of challenges in, in my life as a pastor, in my role as a pastor. And it was um, not exclusively, but mostly came out of the other church I, I pastor in Bushkill. And I, I did share a little bit about with many of you during those days, but this was a protracted series of events that went from the beginning of 2013 and lasted pretty much through 2016. And, and, and obviously the names are not important, nor is it appropriate to share that, but the, the, the situations were um, decisions I had to make as a pastor, which I knew were not going to be easy and may not be welcomed, but I had to make them. And I had the backing of, of, of the council in the church. And yet, as I made these decisions, they were rejected, they were denied, and I got a lot of kickback at my pastoral ability, or lack thereof in many people's eyes. And there was other circumstances where I was simply trying to help someone, and it kind of went sideways. There was other circumstances where um, they didn't particularly like my advice that I gave, and so that went sideways. And then as these situations one after another after another, eventually they started to sort of coalesce together. And one person, their circumstance had nothing to do with the others necessarily, but, oh, so Pastor Paul did that? Well, I didn't like what he did here either. And so they started to group together and say a lot of things directly, indirectly to me that were honestly very hurtful. And as I said, I, in, in, I didn't do all of these things perfectly. I'm sure you all have moments in your life where if you were able to go back in time and redo that moment, maybe you'd do it differently. Maybe you would, you would say the same thing, but maybe you'd say it with a different tone, you know, but you're not sure. You felt like you did the right thing, but it blew up in your face. And honestly, that's what kept happening. I am very glad to be a part of a denomination of churches. I am very glad for this, for many reasons, but one of the key ones for me as a pastor is that 
I am accountable to people over me as a pastor. And, and I, have, I have a bishop that I, that I report to. Um, now, I am the field director in this district of churches. So as field director, I don't have another field director to go to over me, but I do have a bishop. And, and I value that because I have people to turn to. And, and, and during these difficult days, I, w- I was turning to um, the, the field director at that point. And actually, that was back when we still had a, a, basically a, um, a, a conference minister, we called him, which is sort of like the old district superintendent position uh, that we used to have in our denomination that the Methodists still do have. But um, all that to say, I did things kind of by the book in terms of, okay, you get people to, to come with you when you talk to somebody. If they don't agree, you go back together. And so I'm following the scripture, Lord. Why is it going this way? And you can probably relate to this too, perhaps. When you start hearing criticism, and especially when it's really sharp and, and, and really even, even insulting, it echoes. And that echo keeps going. And then when you get another voice, well, that one echoes too. And then when you get another voice, and these voices of, 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 of doubt, these voices of, of criticism, these, these insulting voices that came to me, after a while, that echo chamber got louder and louder. After a while, I didn't really hear the voice of the, those individuals anymore or see their face necessarily. After a while, that voice of doubt became my voice of doubt. And I put on a pretty good face during those four or five years. I prayerfully asked God to help me you know, do this every Sunday as best I can and to lead as best I can. And I didn't want to bring the issues in one church into another or, or not be as effective here because of that issues because they had nothing to do with, with St. John's. But Bushko Community Church was, was really in turmoil. I didn't even think they were going to survive for a while, partly due to these things that were going on. But that echo kept coming. And it really broke me. And I do remember, and some of you may recall, there was one Sunday morning that I was preaching on something along the lines of getting your relationships right in your life and you know, being at peace with people if you can. And, and I wrapped up the sermon. I was about to wrap, walk out the door, and I said, you know what, I need you to pray for me. And you did, and I thank you for that. And that, that was part of this series of events. Now, I will say this, with a couple of exceptions, this, this, this is probably about a good half dozen or so people, six, eight, depending on, on how I would count them, but none of them are, are in the church anymore at Bushkill. Um, if I were to bump into any of them in public tomorrow, with a couple of exceptions, it would at least be cordial. Oh, hi, Pastor Paul. How are you? Fine. How are you? It's good to see you. And it was probably as far as it would go, and that's okay. I'm glad for that. I'm glad for that much. There's a few people that would ignore me, avoid me, and wouldn't 
acknowledge my existence on this planet. And if you have people in your life like that, that's a wound, isn't it? That's a hurt. So as these voices bounced around in my head and it began to be my own voice and I doubted everything. I used to talk about the, the, the voice of doubt that you have like, like a little dog that's really noisy. Anybody have a little noisy dog? Aren't the little ones the noisiest of dogs, right? And, and, they're, and when you look at them, they've got you know, just terror in their eyes and this little growl. But you know, if they really attacked you, okay, it might be a little troubling, but you know, it's not as if this is an 80-pound German shepherd snarling at you, okay? This is a little yipper. And, and that's the way that voice was to me, because we all have the doubts in our minds and, 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 and the echoes of, of criticism that come to us like the little yipper dog. But that dog's starting to get bigger in my heart and mind, and bigger and louder, to the point where I knew I needed help. And I, and I sought out some, some of my friends that asked me to suggest some good, some good counselors, and I, and I went to some. And one of the things that I remember in one of the sessions was this. As I was telling my story and these various stories, um, as, as a good counselor, he, he listened, he nodded, he might have jotted the note here and there, but he wanted to, to me to, to, you know, to share what, what's going on. So when he did speak, he said, you know, Paul, everything you told me is negative. Like, like even the way you talked about the church you, or, or, or the people, it was like, and I didn't see it myself. It, it, it brought in this, this negative tone, and it shouldn't surprise me, because I would just, everything I was doing, I was instantly reevaluating, and it usually wasn't coming out good <laughs> in the little report I was doing in my mind. And I'm, I'm getting better with all this. Now, this was almost 10 years ago when this began, the next year, 10 years. And... I'm getting there. It's a work in progress. And some of you maybe know what I speak. When, when, you, when you have a challenge in your heart and mind from, from deep pain or from, from anxieties or fears, you, you know that you can seek out counseling, and, but, but they don't have a magic wand where one day, boof, it's all over. You understand that it's a process and you, and you keep going and, and I, have, I have made progress in that process, but that voice is still there. The dog got a little smaller again, but it's still there. What we see here in Scripture today from, from Paul, the Apostle Paul's example, and, and he, he lists these in that, in that passage, Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. In one way or another, we can all relate to that. A lot of those things are part of life, and you, okay, you don't like it, but you manage. But sometimes, some, one of those things happens to us, maybe a couple of them, and it sticks. And, 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 the, and the hurt goes deep, and you, 
like me, perhaps put a good face on it and get through, but there's something going on inside that you, that you want to you want to deal with. You're, you're broken, your broken condition. And again, we all have these in some way or another. Not that you all necessarily need to seek out professional counseling, but also don't, don't, off, don't just slough that off either. If maybe there is something really deep going on, it might be a good thing for you. And, and I will gladly refer someone to you if you have anything like these going on. But even at, at levels short of that, the, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the difficulties of our lives can really pile up. And they can take the joy out of life. And as we all know, whatever we all had going on two plus years ago, the pandemic just ratcheted everything up, made it that much worse, made it that much heavier, made it that much more difficult. And so, as the saying goes, here we are, two plus years later. Maybe you, maybe you have made progress during this time. Good. But if you haven't, then I, I hope these scriptures will, will help today, and I hope sharing with you my struggles and my story will, will be enough of an encouragement to you, actually, to know that, you know what? Pastor Paul has challenges, too. Pastor Paul suffers, and you all have other friends that suffer, and it, it, it's, we all have it. But the, the problem is, is when, we, when we deny it. Attempting to deceive yourself and others indefinitely. That doesn't work. It doesn't last. It can't. And yet, this is probably the favorite go-to remedy for most of us. Yeah, I'm hurting, but uh, don't tell anybody. Especially men. We're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to be strong. We're not supposed to admit weakness. All right, so, so if I got stuff going on, I'll just you know, grumble about it maybe. But don't let anybody know. Don't let anybody in. Because I just don't want to go there. And you put it off indefinitely. And that does a lot of damage to you. Men, women. Stress has a way of just working at you, working at your body in different ways, taking the, a simple physical ailment and ratcheting that up. So many things that uh, related to heart disease, um, some evidence of either certain cancers or stress is, is, a, is a factor in. And, and, and so it's simply literally not healthy for us to withhold stuff that's going on that bothers us, our, our own broken condition. So we can't live in denial about it and expect to be a healthy, fulfilled person, let alone follower of Jesus who's, who's genuinely you know, putting our lives in pattern after him. But another way we can that happens to us is you can be defined by it. So instead of denying by it, you can be defined by it. Uh, this has several different forms. 
Some people take their, their pain and then wear them rather than hide them, almost like a badge of honor for the ego. Oh, look at me, I'm suffering. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, pity me. Oh, yes, please do. You know, bring it on and seeking attention for that. And, and almost wallowing in the pain because, okay, at least it gets me attention. And, and, and the people that, are, that have chosen that route aren't even aware of themselves most of the time. And it's, you have to be really careful to point it out <laughs> because it'll just be one more victimization that they will use as a way to, again, push off the problem by sort of wearing the pain, at least on a surface level, as almost like a badge of honor of some kind for their ego. Another way we can have it define us is to live in shame. Feeling that we're so broken that we are, we are less than, we are so broken that, that I am not enough. I've shared before how I heard a couple of years ago in, in one of the podcasts I was listening to the the interviewer had a, um, a professional psychologist on and, and asked a simple question. He said, in all the various people and their circumstances that you deal with, is there, is there a common thread? Because mental, mental health is, is, is so complex and so varied. But the psychologist answered back without hesitation. The biggest common thread is that people feel that I am not enough. That I'm not smart enough, I'm not healthy enough, I'm not lucky enough, I'm not you know, good looking enough, I'm not rich enough, I, I'm not enough in my own family, I'm not enough in my own marriage, I'm not enough before my own kids, I'm not enough before my parents, I'm not enough at work. And, and, and that just eats at people in, in so many various forms. And that's the other thing that, that this will do to us when we don't deal with our broken condition. It can allow that voice of shame. And again, I started this series with pay attention to what you're paying attention to. What, is, what are you telling yourself? What story are you telling yourself about yourself? When I told my story to the counselor I was at, he, he said, hey, Paul, you're way too negative. And, and that was a help. It wasn't the answer, but it was helpful to see that in myself, to see the story I was telling me about me that I wasn't even aware of. And the last one about being defined by our brokenness is um, to find someone to blame. And that's pretty popular, too. It's not my fault. It's... My spouse's fault, my kid's fault, my boss's fault. Uh, let's go bigger. It's the mayor's fault. It's, it's uh, the president's fault. Let's just go there. If we, if we could all just lay it there. Yeah, it's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of that going on, isn't there? Because there's a lot of pain going on in a lot of people right now. And, and collectively, we don't know what to do with it. So the president sure is an easy target, isn't he? The former one or the current one. Easy targets to, to push the blame upon. And sometimes it happens at closer levels. Sometimes, as I went through, the pastor is to blame. Or 
the school teacher is to blame. My wife's getting a lot of that. People aren't dealing with their pain very well. And blame goes in all kinds of directions. But none of these are healthy for us. So what is the scriptural way to go through this? The best way? To allow your brokenness to refine you. To be refined by it. In 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, I start at verse 3. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Just hear that. All kinds of trials. Different forms of brokenness. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Salvation is more than what you get when you die. Salvation is being saved from our brokenness right now. And and not that it goes away, but he comes right into the brokenness and says, okay, I'm going to show you, Paul Miller, how that I will be glorified through you and you'll start to get better if you just open up about it to someone else. And I started that with a counselor and a few other close friends and, and, and I shared that with you today. And that brokenness I'm still working on, but I want to, I want his glory to to be revealed through me, through all possible means, including my brokenness. Now, verse 7, is, is there's that word refined. Your brokenness can refine you as you trust God in it and through it. The salvation message is that the Son of God went into suffering willingly, went into death willingly, So he can come out the other side. Not so we don't have to suffer. Not so we don't have to die. But that he would be with us in both of those experiences. That's the presence. That's why Jesus was given among many other titles at his birth or before his birth even. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us, not waiting around for us to get it right and get all our ducks in a row, and then we are lovable, then we are capable, then we are you know, a candidate for the love and mercy of God. No, to go right into the mess, to go right into the clutter, to go right into the, the situation that you have and says, you know what, I still love you there, and I'm with you in your pain. 
and I'm going to be with you no matter where it goes. Even if this takes your life, I'm with you. That's the promise of salvation. That's the gospel. So we began today, and I'll close with this, from Psalm 139. What you have in this psalm in the first 12 chapters is an expression of, Lord, I know that you know me. It talks about the, the knowledge of God and how wonderful it is and how, how, how uh, incredible the mind of God is. And then in the 13th and 18th verse, I am filled with fear, balanced with wonder. So fear is, a, is something that is always part of our lives, but it can't drive our lives. It, it, it needs to be, you know, somewhere in the back seat somewhere, in the van, but not, not behind the wheel. And so when we are able to balance fear with wonder, it says in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see the balance there that the psalmist is expressing to us? Yeah, life is scary. But you know what? Life is also wonderful. I am wonderful. Get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And try to smile. And laugh at yourself a little bit at what you see. And yet, that's how God sees you. He doesn't see all the negativity. He doesn't see what you don't like. He sees you, this, this child of God, made in his image, loved by him deeply, your heavenly Father who loves you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the 19th to 22nd verses, uh, David unleashes some from frustrations that have been built up in him, and he had a lot of reason to be frustrated. He even says in that, in that one verse, I, I hate those who hate you. And, and don't you hate them too, God? Almost like there's a license for hate. And he, he lets that out, but then he closes the psalm and says, search me again. Search me and show why I am anxious. And show what is offensive about me. In fact, let me, let me close with just to read that verse from Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Trust Him. Thank you, Lord God, that we can put our trust in you, even with our pain, especially with our pain and our brokenness, and help us to believe in you that you are there with us and you will indeed help us. In your name, amen. I'm going to sing a song as we go into a time of prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.